Okay. So what did you determine what verse we ended on last week? I think we ended on like verse 12 or chapter 15. Yes. Yes, I do believe you're right. So we talked last week about the foot washing of Jesus and his disciples. And one of the, just to recap a little bit for those of you who weren't here. To me, the most significant verse in chapter 13 is verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going to God, Desire of Ages capitalizes on this verse and says that Jesus was fully conscious of his divinity as he washed the disciples' feet. That was another statement that had the Father himself come, as Jesus did, become a human being, that there would be no difference in what happened that he would act just the same as Jesus. So this is not Jesus as a human being giving an example to his followers. This is Jesus as God giving an example to his followers. This is what God does, the kind of service, the kind of rulership, the kind of authority he has. So with that, let's uh, begin with uh, verse 12. He says, uh, do you know what I've done to you? What kind of a question is that? I think he has multiple... He's asking a question at multiple levels. Isn't that likely? Yeah, of course they know what he's done to them. He's washed their feet. Um, But that that isn't all they've done. he's done to them. Something's happened to their hearts in the process. Because they see the amazing humility of God. And and last week, I, uh, for those of you who weren't here... Uh, I uh, pointed out that in Asian cultures of all types, and Jesus is an Asian, uh, in Asian culture, to do anything with the feet is not pretty. It is considered something not touchable, not talked about, not uh, dealt with. And that in Jesus' day, it was very difficult to find someone to wash feet. It was usually relegated to women wash feet. You remember that when Jesus attended the Feast of Simon, that we read, have read about several times now, he didn't even provide for foot washing. Why? He probably couldn't find anybody but Martha and Mary to do it. <laughs> Since he's at their home. So this is a, an act of utmost humility. The only comparison I have in our culture for that is changing bedtimes. So if, if, if we were all patients in a hospital and we were on bedpans, uh, God would come in and change our bedpans. That's how far God would go. So, do you know what I have done to you? A supreme act of divine humility. Because don't we have this perception of Kings on thrones as having wielding power and authority and control and having pride. And of course, in Jesus' day, all the way back to the beginning of kingship, uh, for a king to to admit humility, for a king to, uh, to treat his subjects in a humble way, was just considered degrading. No one would respect him. No one would uh, give him at the time of day. 
I think of the first uh, teaching experience I had, it wasn't Asia. I had come from a place called, oh, I won't say where it was. I had come from an Adventist ghetto where my boss was considered the meanest boss on campus. She was tyrannical. I had a very hard time dealing with her. I worked for her for 18 long months, and believe me, they were very long. <laughs> it felt like 18 years. <laughs> and uh, people had been known to just walk off the job in the middle of the day. Not, not give her notice, not say anything, just walk <laughs> off. <laughs> That's how bad things could get. And uh, I, came, I came to a little Adventist college in Asian, uh, in an Asian culture, and um, I was in pre uh, prepared to be a little odd by the president. Yeah, I mean, after all, he's the president, and, and I'm, I'm an employee under him. And uh, I was just amazed and happily surprised at his humility. And he, was he, he wasn't local exactly. He was from a neighboring uh, culture that was very, basically the same culture, but not the same. He would get out and play tennis with his faculty members as though he were another faculty member. He would let them argue with him relentlessly in faculty meeting um, and not be put off by that at all and not try to assert his authority. He would, he would argue back, but, but at the end of the day, we understood that he was trying to be one of us, not over us. And that was just very heartwarming. I still have very warm feelings for this man and his wife. Uh, we became quite good friends while I was there. So this is Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Do you know what I've done to you? I think he's saying, I don't think you really do catch mm -hmm. the full significance of what I've done. But in case you didn't, if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. We struggle with that today, don't we? How many people come to church on Communion Sabbath? <laughs> or maybe how many people don't come to church on Communion Sabbath? This is a, this is a struggle for us. Um, and some have wanted to modernize it, maybe polish shoes instead of wash feet. But I would say... In our culture, that won't work. That's not equivalent. Uh, changing well, changing bedpans would be more equivalent. It's still not equivalent because, like, you know, I get to wash my wife's nice pedicured feet through her I know. Um, um, hose instead of dirty, smelly feet that maybe were barefoot or sandals at most. You know, like it was like a, I mean, you couldn't even compel a, ser a servant couldn't even compelled to, to, to wash feet in, in, in that culture. So it's amazing what, what Jesus did. Uh, so we ought to wash one another's feet. And I think, I honestly think uh, bending down and washing another's feet gives us a different perspective. This is the position God has taken. This is how he runs the universe. So, verily, truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. We're in John 12, uh, 13. Um, 16 or 17. 16. So, if I, your master, 
You know, you don't see me as God. This is, this is, they haven't seen Jesus as God yet. But if I'm your master and Lord, and I've washed your feet, that's what you need to do. Amen. So if you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but it is to fulfill the scriptures. The one who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. What does that mean? The one who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. It sounds like a reference to the Garden of Eden almost. Can with, you explain? With the, um, when, he, when God gives essentially the curses, um, then he talks about the serpent, that the serpent will strike his heel. And that's interesting. Now that's kind of the reverse of that, isn't that? Yeah. But then now it's kind of... Lifted up his heel against my heel. Mm-hmm. Maybe. The one who ate my bread, or other ancient authorities read, ate bread with me. What is the significance of that? Kim? Could this possibly be a reference to exactly, I hesitate to say this, what Satan did? Satan partook of, before his fall, all the heavenly everything and knew precisely what was happening. And we know that that is an equivalent to, in some sort, of um, knowing, you know, through the word, through, I mean, they had heaven right there with them, and he partook of that. I've, I've often thought of Judas, uh, since this is obviously about Judas, uh, I've often thought he uh, typifies Satan in many ways. Mm-hmm. The, the parallels are striking. So I think, I think you're right, Kim. Let me explain what eating bread with someone meant. The Hebrew word is lechem, Bethlehem. Uh, house of bread, but um, eating bread is as simple. Bread is simply a word for food. Mm-hmm. So eating a meal with someone is a sign of friendship and trust. In the ancient Near East, that's the thing you do when you want to show someone that you trust them, and that you can honor them as your friend. You invite them to a meal. Why is Jesus always, especially in Luke, going to either going to a meal or coming from a meal? Uh, he's always being invited to the banquets. Eating is a very important part of Asian culture, all Asian cultures. And uh, I just the Adventist way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Adventists like to eat too. And actually, I, I suspect of all cultures, but particularly if you have, uh, I remember my sophomore class in the school I taught in. Uh, I was sponsor. And we, they had some money in their kitty at the end of the year, and they wanted to do something with it, not just lose it. So what did they want to do? They wanted to go out to eat, mm-hmm. of course. That's what you do with money uh, when you have it left over. So bread, eating bread with someone is, is a sign of deep friendship and trust and commitment and loyalty. So for someone who has eaten bread with you to lift up their heel against you, that just accentuates the heinousness of what they're doing. I tell you this now before it occurs so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am. We did read this last week. Remember, we, got, we ended with yes. I am. Yes. 
Well, it won't hurt us to review. Uh, most of your versions probably translate that I am he, mm -hmm. but he is not in the Greek. Mm. It is literally I am. What is Jesus saying? He's making it pretty clear. What is I am? God identifies himself as I am. Right. I am that I am. So he's, he's taking on the name of God, and he's not just taking it on in its uh, third masculine singular form, Yahweh. Mm -hmm. He is saying, eh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that is the Hebrew uh, for I am. It is, I will be, I am. And that's what makes them, in the eyes of the leaders, of course, a, a blasphemer. See, he dares to say that. Remember that the Jews would not say the name of God. And they would not even say Yahweh. They substituted Adonai, Lord, and thus perverted the name. Because I am does not mean Lord. It's self-existence. It's uh, I am who I am, unchanging, unmalleable. You can't appease me. You can't manipulate me. You can't uh, bargain with me. It, it's odd that the world has taken on um, the I am. Mm-hmm. Haven't we? <clears throat> iPhone, iPad. Well, but there's, <laughs> I, I'm, there's I'm, rapping I'm, songs. There's, yeah. there's actual songs that say I am. And it's like, it's, it's almost per scripture. I mean, it's... Mm -hmm. That the devil's so gotten into these people that um, mm -hmm. that they would take that on, and it's like it's just it's in some ways it's shocking because I'm not used to that whole thing. But uh, when you actually hear what's going on out there, it's like wow, days are short. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is the this is the self generation, isn't it? The self age, age of. Uh, I'm almost saying selfies. I mean, <laughs> it just seems like that typifies everything else that we're doing. Uh, that we're into the importance of myself. Mm -hmm. And I, I'll tell you something I, painful. I'm noticing this in the classroom. There's a decided change this year from previous years. Have you noticed it in freshmen? Well, it's been kind of gradual. It has been, I suppose, but I've noticed it more sharply this year than any other year. Uh, a certain entitlement, yeah. a certain uh, perfectionism that if the teacher makes a minor error, we jump <laughs> on it. And um, just the expectations and not willing to take no for an answer. Mm. And they, they, the word out on the street is, this is the generation that's been raised by parents who taught them that they can do anything they want, they should have anything they want, they are entitled to anything they want. And we get the privilege on the college level, and I suspect on the high school, all levels actually, we get the privilege of trying to help them understand things a little more realistically. Mm -hmm. uh, and that we're not going to be thanked for that except maybe down the road 20 years from now. <laughs> so this is that generation. But Jesus has the right to say that, doesn't he? He doesn't say it to his disciples like this. He says it earlier in, in John 8, but he doesn't say it to his disciples like this until he has washed their feet. 
taken the lowest position. Now you can understand, I am. And he doesn't say it with the continuance of, therefore you shall. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. It's, it's just, I am. I am. And then he says, Truly I tell you, whoever receives me whom I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. This is, I, I can't resist pointing this out because it hits me every time I read something like this. In the Babylonian creation, and you might think this is so far back that Jesus would have nothing to do with that, but actually we know that Babylon influenced all civilization down to Christ's day. And, and, and beyond. And there's a line in the Babylonian creation where they tell Marduk, wherever they worship another deity in a shrine, they worship you. It, it's not said quite those words, I'm paraphrasing it loosely, but that's the intent. Mm -hmm. If you worship any other god, any other shrine, you're worshiping Marduk. This is how egotistical Marduk is in, in the Babylonian creation. Jesus turns that concept on its head and says, whoever I send, if you receive them, you receive me. The lowest person on the totem pole, if you receive them, you receive me. And, and if you receive me, you receive the one who sent me. Okay, verse 21. And then Jesus, having said that, gets troubled. And he says, very truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. And so the disciples look around at one another. Is it, is it me? Is it me? Is it I? And, and G it's interesting here. Peter is usually the one who speaks up you know, out of turn. Sorry, I didn't mean to pick on you. <laughs> <laughs> you don't. <laughs> but Peter, Simon Peter, let's, let's call him Simon Peter. Simon Peter usually speaks up. But instead, this time, he is so mum jawed by what Jesus did. Remember, he asked Jesus not to wash right, exactly. his mm -hmm. yeah, feet. He just got done opening his mouth, so he wasn't ready to open it again too quickly. <laughs> That's right. So he, he speaks over to, to John, who's leaning on Jesus, and says, You ask him. <laughs> well, the sad the sad truth is, Peter kind of betrayed Jesus too, and all of them kind of ran. They all, they all ran. let him down. Exactly. So, so you know, it, it's, it's if you look at it, really, I mean, they're kind of all guilty, and, and they're kind of asking each other, "Surely not I, Lord? Surely not I?" You know, in mm -hmm. the King James or whatever like that, and mm -hmm. kind of yeah, well, it was kind of you or, or me if I'd been there. You know, mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. trying to put myself above them. So while reclining next to Jesus, he asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, is the one to whom I give this piece of bread when I've dipped it into the dish. So when he dipped the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. Now that's pretty obvious, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Why didn't they get? Yeah, no, one under, at the meal, says, no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Mm -mm. After he received the piece of bread, Satan entered into him. Why is that? Why is why is it at the act of receiving the bread allow Satan to enter into him? Probably because in offering the bread, this was a final appeal of Jesus. Are you sure this is what you want to do? 
Jim? Um, could it go back to like the Garden of Eden when, you know, there's always a distinguishment, at, at least of, of late, that, you know, Eve was deceived, but Adam decided. Could that have been the point of decision, like in the Garden of Eden, you know, it was decided that to do the defiance, to do the dis disobedience, well, and that's what Judas is doing? Yeah, well, I think combining what Peter said and what you said, if this is Jesus' last appeal, he has to make a decision. That's an interesting point that Kim makes, though, because it's written in all the translations, Adam was not deceived. He knew what he was doing, and he chose to do it anyway. On the other hand, Revelation does say that Satan is the deceiver of the whole world. And I would assume that that's men as well as women. Uh, so there's a level, I think, on which Adam is deceived, but there's a level on which he is not. And, and that level has more to do with distrust, mm -hmm. which in a sense is a form of deception. But it is the choice uh, to not to trust God with the situation. Well, okay. you know, from reading Ellen White on this, you know, I think Judas had kind of rationalized that he was going to, you know, establish Christ's kingdom, you know, by doing this. So he was doing a great thing. And so, to, you know, he, he had kind of justified his mind. Uh, kind of, in, in some ways, a, a little bit of cognitive dissonance had kind of set in, you know. Um, but I think, um, you know, I think we do that sometimes, too. We think we kind of know better than God does. And we do some thinking well, we're helping. Again, is really... and again, it's, this it's a combination of pride and distrust. Right, right. Uh, we can do it our own way better than God can do it his mm -hmm. way. His way is too humble. His way deprives us of the feeling of power. Mm -hmm. uh, his way it actually disempowers us. Mm -hmm. and, and so we, we tend to pull back on it. You had something to say that. Well, I, just, I guess I'm a little... Uh, I don't know what the word is, but it says... Because if someone offered you food, what, would it be rude to say, oh, no, thank you? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's almost like Jesus is doing something nice. Here, have this. Mm -hmm. And because especially if no one understood what Jesus was talking about, this whole whoever receives this is, is the one that's going to betray me. Unless, Jesus, unless Judas consciously knows, okay, we all know what's going on here. And he takes it because if I'm at a if, if I'm at a table of food and you offer no oh, pass the bread and I hand it to you and you take it is that I, I don't know if you yeah I think I think Judas was a little bit of la la land I think he kind of thought he was doing Jesus a favor mm -hmm. oh, that's you mm -hmm. oh that's clear oh that's clear. That's very yeah. clear, because he saw Jesus do all these miracles, and he thought probably, at least this is what the evidence suggests, is that, well, he's going to use his power right, to... Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Judas is the only one at the table who understands what's going on then. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because he... Other than Jesus. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. But I mean, the other and, disciples... And he's not, he's not going to... I don't think the issue is whether he receives the bread as much as we're going to have this communion, this moment of communion, and, and the one who communes with me, the one who's, who's tried to be as intimate with me as all the rest of you, because apparently Judas liked to sit on Jesus' other side from John. Right. Uh, and he's the one that Jesus, whose feet he wa Jesus washed first. So it, it seems to me that 
Judas is is really uh, Jesus is really pointing out that Judas is the one who has communed with him as as much as everyone, and that's the point: is that the one who the one who's eaten with me, the one who's hung out with me, the one who's gone everywhere with me, uh, is is turning against me. You need to know that the problem isn't just out there with the leaders of the church. The problem is right here in this group. Kim? Um, there, and I'm not, I don't have the address to where this was, but was there, wasn't there also something with Judas that, um, someone else mentioned it, and I don't know who, about how, and everything's kind of broken up when everybody else is speaking, but where Judas, you know, he was the one who wanted to bring you know the power about the kingdom. About yeah, that's what that's what John was saying. Oh, okay, okay. Sorry, right. I didn't mean to duplicate it. I just... That's all right. Yeah, and I want to come back to that because when I'm my understanding from everything I've read about the fall of Lucifer is that when he fell, he claimed he was improving on the government of God. Mm-hmm. So Judas is right in line with that fall. The, just as Lucifer was as an was like on on par with Christ, where Christ took on the position of an angel to an angel, just as Lucifer did, and Christ were in close association, co-leading, you might say, the angels. So here's Judas, on par with John sitting on one side of Jesus, John sitting on the other. And one is Jesus' most beloved disciples, and the other one is his betrayer. Mm-hmm. And, and so this, the, what happens, this, this whole what Jesus is experiencing here on earth is simply an encapsulation on earth as what happened in heaven with the fall of Satan. You know, this this is what you're talking about right now. Makes me think a little bit about Eric's talk on, on Thursday about the folly of prestige. Because so often we want to kind of tune these kids into this idea. And that's a real problem in the business department that I, I try really hard to fight. Um, you know, you know, power and prestige and, and titles and, and position, pride, these kinds of things. And those run counter to what we're called for and what right here in this chapter to be servant leaders and to recognize that Jesus says, he that humbles himself will be exalted. exalted, and those that exalt themselves will be humbled. You know, so I think, you know, we have to stay true to what our mission is, you know. Well, I think that's what this whole chapter is about. I know for me, even as a business person, you know, I was out there for over 25 years hitting my head against the wall. The best years that I had were when I put my customers and my employees and my suppliers first. And then, you know what, when I put them first and, and made them, my stakeholders, the, 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 and everybody had a nexus, in my nexus of relationships, you know, the, the priority when I think about how I was making decisions, trying to be kind towards them and make sure they had a pleasurable and profitable experience, the profits took care of themselves. Mm-hmm. But when I put the other things like, oh, these are strategic goals and we've got to make this percent and all this other stuff and forget you, if that, you know, because it's going to get in the way of what's good for us, that's when we had tougher years. Yeah, I finally, it took me years to get this in teaching, believe it or not. I was always a 
trying to perform well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, I was tight. Those years, I was totally insecure. Felt like a failure most of the time in the classroom. And finally, one day, I said, "You know, I'm doing it all wrong. I'm here to to glorify God. I'm here to to teach what He's given me." I'm here to relate to students. I'm here for the students. Why don't I just forget myself and just teach and just interact with students and just try to make uh, this a time when, when they really uh, sense God's presence. And, and, and it, it took some years for me to get a hold of that. Mm-hmm. It, it completely transformed my teaching. And now for me, teaching is walking to the classroom with Jesus and asking him to take charge and letting him his influence be paramount and letting what happens happen. And I have just really good days where I, I sit on the front row with my students and I watch Jesus teach the class. Nice. I mean, I learn from him. So this We is, have to be really intentional about that, though, don't we? Yes. Because it's easy to, I mean, I, I can be, be on it, and then I can forget about it. It has to be in my it. head when I wake up in yeah, the morning and yeah. have my prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when he dipped the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas to Simon Iscariot, and after he received the piece of bread, Satan entered into him. Mm-hmm. Judas closed that last door mm-hmm. and locked it and threw away the key. Now, I believe that started when Jesus washed his feet. And that there was a huge battle that went on when Jesus washed his feet. Because here was Jesus humbling himself. And which, I mean, you think of the other disciples, they were just melted down by that. But Judas just resents that Jesus, who's the Messiah, would do that act. And performed all these miracles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Right, right. Power. power. Jesus said to him, Do quickly what you are going to do. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. They didn't get it. They could not conceive of Judas betraying Jesus. Some thought that because Judas had the common purse, Jesus was telling him, Buy what we need for the festival, or that he should give something to the poor. So, after receiving the piece of bread, he immediately went out. And it was night. And it's like Jesus takes a deep breath, and the atmosphere in the room changes. Mm-hmm. One person can bring darkness into a classroom. Mm-hmm. Something that I and my colleagues have talked about. It, one student <coughs> can change the atmosphere of the classroom, either for good or for evil, mm-hmm. and, and make it either... A joy to be there to teach or to have a real struggle all mm-hmm. quarter. I've had classes where I had one student who tried to take over and teach. Mm-hmm. And he, he was not a Christian. Mm-hmm. And so that made it particularly challenging. And another class where a student had been a Christian and had turned atheist or agnostic. Mm-hmm. And this is the God and Human Suffering class, which is my discussion oh my. class. 
And he, yeah. and he chose to take that class anyway. And he chose to, well, he had a, I really felt he had an agenda. Because it says God, like right in the title. I know, but I think he had an agenda yeah. to try to convert everybody. It was, I really, <laughs> I've walked some tight ropes in some of my classes yeah. because of just one student yeah. changing the, the dynamic in the classroom. Yeah. Yeah. So Jesus takes this deep breath and now says, now the Son of Man has been glorified. Mm. What does he mean by that? Here Judas is left to betray him. Jesus knows that. Now this the Son of Man has been glorified. Well, he knows what's being set in motion. I mean, it's, it's the beginning of the end. The glory of God's kingly power is what? It is, but it is the cross. Because mm-hmm. that, that tells us everything that we need to know about God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they die for you. I like to think that the th- cross became his throne. And it's on that throne that he runs the universe. Amen. And God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will be will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going you cannot come. I give you a new commandment. That you love one another. Imagine having to tell your children that. It, it happens, doesn't it? How many times... I don't recall my parents ever telling us to love each other. I think they knew that was futile. <laughs> but uh, they did tell us to try to treat each other kindly. <laughs> Which could be also futile too. Where I'm going you cannot come. I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He couldn't say this with Judas in the room. That's, and I, you know, I, I, I don't want to sound dark about this, but each of us has an atmosphere, doesn't we? Mm-hmm. We, when we walk into the room, we convey positive or negative vibes. Mm-hmm. And if we open up the scene to the unseen, to the things we cannot see, each of us walks in either with a gaggle of demons following us or a gaggle of angels. And that means that by... Jesus actually is getting Judas to exit, bringing him to that point of of admitting that he's betraying Jesus. Because his leaving is an admission to Jesus. Yes, I'm in the process of betraying you. So Jesus gets him to exit so that he can tell his disciples the things that are most precious. Because with Judas in the room, (coughs) Judas and all the demons with him are blocking what Jesus says to any of his disciples. Simon Peter, then, Simon said, recovered now. (laughs) Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? 
Very truly, I tell you, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Well. It's better not to say what we will do. Isn't it? To have the humility to recognize we don't know our own hearts. That we don't know what we're capable of doing under pressure. And truly, I can tell you, having been through enough pressures in my life, you can't tell what you're going to do when you're under pressure. Mm -hmm. Is there any dispute about when Chapter 13 took place? You know, I'm not a New Testament scholar, so I can't tell you for sure, because I have not read all the commentaries on this. I've never heard it disputed, I'll just say that. that it seems to have been the night before the crucifixion. Things happen so fast. Mm -hmm. I guess, in a way, that was good for Jesus. Well, he's, you know, I mean, he didn't have to, he suffered, but he didn't have to suffer for a long time. It was a pretty tough 24 the, the hours. Intense, the intensity, though, if you, if, oh, you, I know. if you look at Einstein once uh, tried to explain his theory of relativity to uh, a person who had no scientific background. He said, it's the difference between uh, two minutes of holding your finger in a flame and two minutes hugging someone you love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's the theory of relativity. Right, right. You think how long how how long it would seem if you held your finger in a flame for two minutes. Those two minutes would seem like two hours. Of course, one thing that made it much worse for Jesus is he he knew all this was going to happen from I don't know maybe when he from eternity or whatever. Yeah. Well, he laid down but his I, life from the foundation of the world. Right, right. But when he you know I wonder what point when he came into the world he knew he was going to die. You know, was it was it at was it when he was in Jer Jerusalem, you know, at the, at the Passover, talking to the I scribes? Think that's, I think that's when it came together. Yeah, yeah. But I would guess that he had been formulating in his mind right. before like, then. Can you, so like Every years, time he heard Isaiah 53, yeah. he must have pondered right, right, his, right. his destiny, his mission. Um, I'm sure that Mary taught him what the angel said. Yeah. And did it anyway. I think it is the case of when you are united with the Father and you have his mind and his heart. The love is so intense and so deep and so high that you can go to the cross facing it head on. Well, our time is up. Good stuff. A lot of meat there, a lot of sobering things. And the next three chapters are priceless. Yeah. Actually, the next four chapters are priceless. But that's the book of John, and the whole book is priceless. Right, right, opinion. right. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you with all our hearts that Jesus did not quail from going to the cross 
that he did not give up the path, though it was painful at every step. That he was willing to lay down his life out of love. We fall far short of his sacrifice. We can only ask for you to fill us with your love to such an extent that we can follow his footsteps. Bless us to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.